to episode 3 of A Tale from Two Brothers. I'm H.C. Storr. Last time, on the shadow of Nisipote, we witnessed the degradation of the Peters family as Nathan's drinking, gambling, and other vices stripped them of their pride and fortune. While the brute's abuses took their toll on Margot physically, young Jacques became subject to the machinations of Nathan's thievery. When the dust settled, with his lifeless mother lying in the next room, Jacques was left with little more than a tarnished soul. Chapter 6 Wandering aimlessly through the house, Jacques found nothing that would bring him comfort. It was as empty as he felt. Without realizing it, he stood for a long time, staring at a dark spot upon the wall of the entry where his father's portrait had hung. Nathan had even sold the nail and wire. To his left, the empty study could have passed as a killing floor for its vapid expanse. Nathan had sold everything not nailed down, and had even burned the butcher blocks from the kitchen to save on coal. With his dead mother lying in the only bed left, the house was like a crypt for its cold emptiness. Jacques retreated to his room and began to pace, the hollow void in his chest filling quickly with hatred for Nathan. The man was supposed to have been the savior of his family. Instead, he was the poison that had finished it off. He continued marching, kicking his blanket out of his way in disgust. His temper slowly began to cool. As grief once again made an appearance and tears rolled down his cheeks, his mother's final words echoing in his mind. Wiping the moisture from his face, he began to focus. We, oui, Mama, vengeance will be mine. That was a good funeral, Miss Puttlemeyer dabbed the corner of her tearless eye with a furly kerchief. Well, a good funeral as could be, I suppose. I just wish the poor woman would have had more good sense than beauty. Perhaps then she could have avoided marrying that rogue and bringing this trouble upon us all. Anna gripped Jacques by his arm, feeling the anger and tension whistling like a tea kettle from his nostrils. Don't, Master Jacques. She helped pay for the plot. It would be poor wages for her kindness, even in your grief. In his chagrin, he felt for helping Nathan rob these people was quickly burning up in his hatred for their abandonment of his family. They all had learned what Nathan was like. Someone could have stepped in and helped. It was duff vanity, thank you for those kind words, Anna loudly blurted out, interrupting Miss Puttlemire's clucking. It was obvious that gossip couldn't help but continue on. We are grateful for all this generosity. Her warm hand soothing upon his arm, Jacques relaxed as his grief claimed him once again. Whether it was pity or kindness, he simply didn't care. Have you heard what is to become of the estate? Dr. Collinsworth spoke to one of the notable town lawyers only a few feet away. Anna couldn't help herself and said, What estate? It's an empty shell of a home. That would explain Nathan trying to raise funds for the burial. The lawyer's smile was patronizing. Anna rolled her eyes, her reply quiet, mostly for her own benefit. Pah! Nathan would have sold this plot for a spot of rum. 
He didn't even have the courtesy to show his face here. He's probably trying to find that bottom of a bottle with his funsy did rays. Confident that Jacques was under control, she released her grip upon him. Don't you worry. I won't be letting you starve. Did you have some porridge this morning? Jacques lied with half a nod. It didn't matter. He hadn't the stomach for a meal. Well, I will come by this evening with a crust of bread. Anna moved to wipe a smudge from Jacques's face, but he turned away, unwilling to infect her with his misery. Her life, having begun in toil, she seemed so much older than she truly was, a maturity grown through adversity. With a smile, she patted his shoulder, turned hesitantly, and then made her way with a somber gaggle down the hill. He watched her until she had disappeared past the stone wall and into the trees that lined the lane. With his mind wandering aimlessly, Jacques's eyes fixated upon the nothing of the cemetery gate, its wrought iron twisted and hanging open in the gap of the stone wall. When he truly felt alone, Jacques slunk down to the mound of his mother's grave, exhausted, his head down at his knees as he crumpled clods of soil through his fingers in contemplation. The air smelled wet, like rain was coming, the sky overcast and dull. There were no more tears to be had, and when he put his eyes on Nathan, stumbling up the lane, his only emotion was disgust. Teetering, Nathan skittered in the gravel, bent low, and saluted a grave, his mumbling sea shanty instantly at full drunken pitch. Well, haul away, Joe. Picking himself up from the dirt as Nathan approached, Jacques remained on guard at his mother's plot. Shoving the boy from his path, Nathan swept off his hat and bowed to Margot's grave, his blonde hair dropping about his face. And here's to the woman that tried to ruin me. Ruin me! He kicked at the soil. Nearly falling, he gathered his feet and victoriously waved a strip of paper clutched in his hand. Hacking phlegm from the depth of his throat, he spat upon the grave. You tried, but I found it. You can't have hit it from old Nathan. You tried, but I was one. What? Outraged, Jacques charged, catching Nathan unawares and shoving him into the grass. Get off me, you whelp! Nathan barked, stumbling back. Regaining his footing, he leered down at Jacques. Why ain't you an angry pup? Jacques snapped. I'm no pup! Again he charged, kicking Nathan in the groin as hard as he could. The drunkard collapsed instantly with a wail. I'll kill you! You ain't nothing to me! Knowing the threat wasn't idle, Jacques bolted. He hadn't made three steps when he was caught by the collar and thrown to the ground, a muddy boot jammed at his throat. Who there? Jacques, recognizing Mr. Adelson's voice, was relieved when Nathan released him. What you about then, Adelson? Our business was over months ago, Nathan growled. What you bringing these vultures around here for? My wife hasn't even been in the ground a day, and you're ready to be picking from her skeleton. Jacques slowly stood and watched as the three men approached. Mr. Adelson, Mr. Openshaw, and a third he didn't recognize. I am afraid this could not wait, Mr. Openshaw began. It has come to my attention that on his final journey, Edwin Peters made a stop in London. There, in the East End, 
he set up an additional trust in the name of Jacques Peters. You don't say. Nathan stood a little taller, stuffing the paper he had lorded over Margot's grave in the back of his breeches. Fortunately, the third man spoke, the funds in the account will be enough to cover the taxes accrued by your holdings, namely Peter's shipping and the residence of Shellstone. Who's you to come thieving for money? That company ain't worth a farthing, Nathan shouted. Indeed, Mr. Adelson injected. This is Mr. Barrett, a servant of the Crown. That has come down from London. I received a signed letter from your wife a few days ago, requesting that, due to your condition, and her impending health, it would be best if little Jacques were to be placed under my care, until such a time that Jacques could make the trip to London, secure the funds, and put your affairs in order. Turning to the others, he tried to show his magnanimity while reaching to take Jacques by the shoulder. Naturally, I would have come sooner, had I known how grave young Maggie's condition really was. Nathan yanked the boy to him and spit upon Mr. Adelson's fingers. I don't give a fig for no supposed letter from me dead wife. Who's to say it's really hers? I's his father. I got rights, don't I? Nathan was thinking as quickly as his foggy mind would allow. What do you mean by Jacques making the trip to London? I's his father. I can collect the monies. Well, you can't, actually. One of the stipulations of Edwin placed upon the trust is that it can only be collected by the late Margot or his own heir, Jacques Peters. Mr. Openshaw interjected. Seeing his chance to be free, Jacques shook off Nathan's grasp. I, I think, clamping his filthy hand over the boy's mouth, Nathan swallowed against the bitter taste the news left on his tongue. He had planned to dump the brat as soon as he could, but this changed things. I think it would be best if little Jackie here and I spoke privately about our affairs, as it were, before we be making any hasty decisions. Mr. Bennett took another step forward. Don't do anything foolish or rash, Mr. Roger er, Hodges. He nodded with a knowing look. We will be stopping by Shellstone first thing in the morning. You best be prepared to make the right choice. Nathan smiled innocently. Right you are, governor. Till the morning. With that, he scooped up his hat, grabbed Jacques by the collar, and ushered him towards the gate. Twenty minutes later, they rounded the last bend toward Shellstone. Jacques' legs burned as he tried to keep pace with Nathan, who had suddenly become surprisingly alert and mobile. He just wants to help me, Jacques tried to reason with his stepfather. Who? Nathan slowed. Mr. Adelson, he just wants to help me. Why don't you just leave me here with him? You have everything else, Jacques replied. Not everything, Nathan pulled the pages he had tucked behind his belt and waved them at nobody. They knows about the funds. We has to beat them to London before the king's men comes thieving for every penny. That's not the worst of it. That magistrate will has me in irons, begging for me supper by tomorrow night. London? I'll give you every copper in that account if you just let me stay with Mr. Adelson, Jacques pleaded. You think that pompous windbag would have anything to do with you if you was broke? Face it, boy. You and me is all we has left. Now that ain't uh, oh well that did. A gruff voice called from the dark. 
Chapter 7 William came sauntering from the shadows cast by the columns of the great home's entry, mock hurt across his face. You! Nathan bellowed, charging forward and slamming William against the wall. Why would you go and sit the magistrate after me then, eh? I thought we was mates. Nathan pressed his forearm into William's throat. This is how you repay me for letting you live? Seconds passed as William's lips darkened and then purpled. He slammed his fist helplessly into Nathan's rigid arm as he struggled for breath. In a last effort to save himself, he lifted a filthy thumb and rammed it deep into his attacker's eye, shoving hard enough to get a feel for the bone. Ah! You'll blind me, you fool! Nathan screamed as he stumbled back, covering his raw socket. William coughed, rubbing his neck. I is your mate. <coughs> I only did what you told me, Cotton. I's been your eyes and ears, <coughs> just like you said. If you gives me a moment, we're going to explain. You'll say I did you a favor. You did blind me, Nathan growled, trying to restore his vision with a series of rubs. Now, Cotton. William backed, gripping his throat and coughing. You's just trying to strangle me after death. What you spent? Swinging a curved knife from behind his back, Nathan snarled. You has seconds to explain. Now, hold on, mate. William swallowed hard, looking at the carambit. He had seen Nathan use that particular knife enough times to know he didn't want to be on the wrong end of it. I heard tell of the little F-frog's fortunes, and I thinks to myself, what would me captain do if he could get his hands on them pounds? Like I says months ago, you and I is his partners, 50-50, eh? Half partners? And what have you done but blind me? Nathan menaced with his knife. I's been keeping an eye on you, Nathan, all them months, and we was seeing his good friend living like the king himself without sparing a copper for Will. But I ain't angry, I says to myself, just wait. The captain always takes care of his crew. Will, your fortunes haven't been going these past few months. And people have been noticing. They've also been noticing the thieving going on in town. And the whispers William is suspects you, mate. So you did goes and puts the magistrate on me, eh? Tell me again why I shouldn't gut you like a fish. Nathan threatened. It ain't like that. You sees, they goes and picks me up with another bloke for drinking too much. And I hears them talking about how those others complaining about old Nathan Orges. Thieving and drinking. They's talking about the F-Frog's fortune. Says he's right wealthy. Says he has monies in London for the taking. They's talking about what to do with me, mate. Nathan, seeing how he's farted to the young frog. So I says, pointing to the sleeping drunkard with me, that man tells me a story about being friends with a certain cotton Nathan Rogers. And that Nathan is a wanted man. You let me go, and I'll approve it. William started to laugh. I don't see what's so funny, Nathan prodded, taking a step forward. Now they'll come and fetch me as Nathan Rogers, you bilge rat. No, they just thinks you might be Captain Rogers. William chuckled, holding his hands. They sends me to a judge. I walked into his office and I says, I says, your honor, 
My name is Jimmy Strider. William smiled at his clever lie. I gives him the name of the other bloke, back with the constable. Unmoved, Nathan scowled. William sobered and continued. Right, right. So I says, I says, Your Honor, that man tells me that Nathan Olgers looks an awful lot like a man named Nathan Rogers from London. I got all excited and asked if I was sure. I says to him, I says, as sure as any drunk could be. William chortled. Well, he didn't like that, but the bug was planted in his ear, you see. I says, the other bloke is first mate and friend of old Captain Nathan Rogers. So they lets me go. They says, you prove Nathan Rogers, it's Nathan Rogers, and we will let you be. So here I is, waiting to warn me Captain and tell you about the Afrog's fortune. Still unhappy, Nathan relaxed and resheathed his knife. So they has no proof that I'm Nathan Rogers, eh? They're still going to be here in the morning to collect the boy and probably clap me in irons. That constable had shifty eyes. The way William sees it. He paused as he backed towards the shadows of the house and returned with a clinking canvas satchel. We enjoy a little nightcap, catch a few winks, and be off well before morning. It will take us two weeks to walk to London, though, so I suspect we might be needing to find some way to get there faster. Walking up to William, Nathan grabbed the bag and peered inside, his face brightening. Turning to head into the house, he spun about without warning and punched William as hard as he could in the gut. That was for me eye! Jacques held his breath, edging around the doubled over William as he followed Nathan into the entry. Even from a distance, William reeked of stale alcohol and sweat. Well, that went better than I could have hoped. The man suddenly jerked upright and gripped Jacques by the neck before he could dart away. Pulling the boy to his face, he warned, And don't you be thinking of any funny business. Always come too far to be cheated out of me share by the likes of you. You understand me, boy. Jacques twisted from the foul odor and nodded. William shoved him back, knocking him to the ground before charging through the grand doors, shouting about a drink. Upstairs, Jacques was furious. He was tired of the beatings, tired of being hungry, and tired of being used. That was his coin. His! And just like the rest of the money he had earned, it was sure to be spent in his stepfather's gut. His frustration boiling, he launched his foot at the wall as hard as he could, immediately regretting the action as pain shot from his toes to his knee. Cursing, he hobbled about on one leg, his eyes stinging with tears as he sank to his tattered blanket on the floor. Jacques? A timid voice called behind a nearly silent rap at the door. Jacques, are you here? Knowing Nathan wouldn't bother to knock, Jacques quickly jumped to his feet, wiping the remaining wetness from his cheeks with his sleeve. Leery still of who was on the other side, he slowly opened the door until he caught sight of a pair of concerned brown eyes shining in the flickering wick of a slender candle. Quick! Jacques whispered urgently as he pulled the door wider to let Anna in. Just as anxiously, he shut it behind her to block the gargle of, of drunken song from his tormentors as it echoed up the stairs. How did you get up here without being seen? he asked. Through the servant's stairs in the back, of course. 
she replied in a whisper. I had no desire to be seen by that wicked man. He doesn't even know I'm here, and that's all that matters. Moving to the center of the room, Anna sank gracefully to the floor and began to unpack the small wicker basket she had brought with her. Jacques stood silent with his hand on the doorknob as he watched Anna, transfixed. She seemed to be the last rays of dying sunshine in his life. When she abruptly turned to him, his eyes shot to his feet embarrassed. I can't stay long, but I promised I would bring you something to eat. It smells delicious, Jacques eagerly sat. Blushing, Anna unwrapped a towel from a small bowl. Now it's not much, but I was able to bring you some bread and a pottage of stew. She had hardly lifted the small round loaf from the basket when Jacques had it out of her hand. Tearing off a hunk, he dipped it unceremoniously into the gravy, savoring the bite. I, I'm afraid the stew's gone cold by now, she grimaced. Thanks, he tried to speak but gave up as he forced another chunk of broth-sodden bread into his mouth. I wish there was more I could do, she sighed. Jacques stared at her in amazement. The food was marvelous, but her kindness and care were worth far more. Jacques had become too accustomed to the heavy-handed blows of his drunken stepfather. He had almost forgotten what kindness felt like. A slow blush began to spread across Anna's cheek once again, as Jacques quickly looked at the bowl of stew in his lap. He knew his gaze had drawn on longer than was socially acceptable, but noble Anna was far too good of a person to point it out. Bitterly, Jacques stuffed another chunk of bread into his mouth, remembering his attitude at the wedding. He had thought himself so important then. I, th I think we're leaving tonight, he whispered. My father, well, my real father, left some money in an account for me in London. Jacques, you can't go to London with that man! she exclaimed, pointing to the floor. Go to Mr. Adelson, tonight. Get your money, and disappear. How did you know about Mr. Adelson? Jacques looked surprised. I penned the letter for your mother. Anna could feel his pain. Jacques, you need to escape. You can't stay with him. Jacques rolled up to his knees and put his feet underneath his body, the food in his mouth like ash, his stomach in knots. He didn't feel a bit hungry anymore. Jacques bit his lip and shook his head as he whispered, I wish it were that simple, but how far do you think I could get before Nathan cut up and beat me half to death? You know him, Anna. You must find a way, Jacques. He's taken everything from you. Don't let him take this. Jacques stood silent. Anna collected the bowl and towels and stood. I need to get back before my aunt gets worried. At the door, she turned back. Please try. Jacques was quiet as he listened to the latch of his door silently catch and Anna's soft footfalls disappear down the hall. As minutes ticked by, he decided she was right. There was no guarantee Nathan wouldn't do worse to him once the man had coin in his hand and rum in his veins. Slowly, as his thoughts distilled in his mind, a new idea percolated. It was true, he would never be able to outrun Nathan, but he could be rid of him. Like a fly struggling through thick honey, Jacques' thoughts beat against the inside of his head. He couldn't think of a soul more deserving of retribution than Nathan. Still, it was a great leap to contemplate himself as his mother's angel of vengeance. As the hours of black night surrounded him, Jacques stared at the flickering little flame. No matter how many different ways he planned out his escape, one constant remained the same. 
Nathan would have to die. His father had died a hero for his family and this town. Jacques swallowed against the nausea in his stomach. He owed Edwin's memory this much at least. His feet working slowly down the steps of the grand staircase, he paused as each board that creaked seemed to echo with the force of a choir through the empty rooms. It was before the witching hour that he hovered above a confident, snoring Nathan, his faithful bottle of rum nestled in his arms. William lay cuddled in the corner of the parlor, his arms and legs pulled tight like a child. Carefully, he slid out the half-empty bottle under Nathan's hold. Jacques's heart sank with hesitation as he stood over the vile man. He desperately wanted to follow Anna's plan and simply run off, and in that moment of doubt, he almost set the bottle down again. He was sure he could find Mr. Adelson. The village was not that large. Like a trumpet to the call of battle, Nathan's growl broke in the silence. Tried to ruin me, she did. Jacques paused, his pulse quickening with fear as the brute rolled to his side and began to snore once more. Contempt replaced his nausea as Nathan's words pulled him back to the task. He would never be safe with this monster behind him. The black room and empty house were a chest of bad memories. Every joyful account of Edwin and Margot had been sold along with all the wares. There was nothing left for Jacques but nightmares. With the stopper out of the bottle, he poured the aromatic liquid into a great puddle near the entry and dropped the empty glass vessel with a thump. Jacques' eyes became entranced by the flame dancing in the reflection of the undulating red rum as he brought the small bit of candle down slowly from above his head. What you on about? A cold hand gripped Jacques by the wrist like a vice. I, I... Jacques struggled. I's been met with odd men me whole life, but none's be thinking to burn me up in my sleep. William gripped the candle from his hand. So you think you can have the boy? Nathan was up, enraged. William started to explain. Now, Cap, it ain't. I sees it all clearly now. Give old Nathan a nightcap. Drink it up, old shipmate. On the morrow we leaves for London. Nathan swung the carambit about his thumb. Meanwhile, I'm left for dead in a burning house while you's halfway to London with the boy. Nathan, it ain't what it looks like. William tried to argue. Jacques quickly jumped to his own defense. He took me from my bed, Nathan. He said he wanted the money to himself. You lying! William slapped Jacques hard, hurling him into the puddle of liquor as Nathan dashed forward, his blade like lightning. With the speed of a viper, William narrowly avoided the slash, blocking the blow and attacking, smashing the candle against the side of Nathan's face. Ah! Nathan screamed, reaching for his burning flesh in shock, while the molten wax skittered into the pool of alcohol in a shower of sparks, the fumes flaring into an inferno upon contact. You thinking I'm cutting you, mate? William growled as he struggled to pin Nathan's wrist down, twisting his hand in an effort to remove the curved blade from his grip. Gazing in stunned awe, Jacques' eyes flitted between the men exchanging blows and the bright orange-blue flame as it began to lick up the walls and spread across the floor. He was consumed by the combat, stunned as Nathan flung William to the ground, followed by a swift kick to the prone man's ribs. Too late, Jacques scurried back, finding himself at the bottom of the pile of limbs and then tossed like a doll from the combat into the burning wall. 
Flames ignited Jacques's rum-soaked sleeve faster than a blink, and in terror he flailed his arm, trying to rid himself of the burning that consumed his arm. It wasn't until he was outside that a clear thought bore through the madness. The birdbath. Skipping the stairs entirely, he dove straight into the small fount, bearing both arms up to his shoulders, the cold liquid squealing as it quenched the burn from his searing flesh. A scream from the manor ripped Jacques' head up, driving the terrible pain from his mind, his eyes focusing upon a vision of true horror on the other side of the parlor window. Nathan, gaining the advantage, had plunged the knife up to his wrist into his mate's stomach. Time froze, as if the world had stopped turning. With his head leaning on Nathan's shoulder, William gripped his captain's arms, blood gurgling involuntary from his lips. Jacques could see the scarred, twisted face of the man clearly, the muscles limp and resigned to their fate, as his angry, foggy brown eyes for once filled with innocent longing. Instantly, the moment passed as the world sped to make up the time it had lost by staying still. With a jerk, Nathan twisted William about, yanking the wicked blade free. Diving into his victim, the two crashed to the floor, while Jacques stood entranced, unable to move, as Bile bit the back of his tongue. Over and over, the black silhouette of Nathan's arm, his curved knife held tightly in his fist, came into view as he thrashed at his victim like an enraged beast. Succumbing to the nausea, Jacques turned away as his stomach heaved. The image of William's last gaze burned into the backs of his eyelids. Whether it was a second or ten minutes, he didn't move until the killer came stumbling from the swirling smoke, coughing, the flames spreading quickly behind him. Try and cheat me! Nathan spat, trying to clear his mouth of the metallic flavor of his former companion. Dragging the back of his arm across his cheek, the murderer left a smear of blood over his lips. No one gets the best of Nathan! After taking a moment to clear his nose, he reached down into the water and began to scrub the carnage free. Jacques winced, yanking his arm from the pool as the water turned crimson from Nathan's washing. Nathan's eyes jerked up from the motion, his gaze locking his ward in place. You stick with me, lad. We have to watch out for each other. Jacques nodded in awestruck terror. Nathan was more violent and cold-hearted than he had ever imagined. The dancing flames glowing red-hot upon him, Jacques' eyes shifted to the burning home. His mind was completely blank as to what he could do next. Any thought of escape seemed to disappear into the night sky with the black clouds of swirling smoke. It was only when the gravel beneath Nathan's feet twisted that Jacques' attention pricked back to life. With needles of fear racing up his arms, he was instantly aware of everything. Nathan wiped the last remains of William from his dripping chin and brushed back his wet hair. We'd best be off before anyone comes asking questions. Nathan turned and hauled Jacques to him by his neck. Like I says, we's all we got, you and me. Next time on The Shadow of Nisipote. Now that Nathan has burned through the last vestiges of the Peters family, he finds himself racing with Jacques in tow across the countryside, seeking to claim the boy's inheritance for his own. Meanwhile, Jacques, who is tied to Nathan by outright fear, can do little more than simply survive. Trying his hand at a new set of illicit skills, he pushes his newfound craft to its limit, 
but finds the rewards don't always outweigh the risks. Mm-hmm.